0: As clinical data continues to emerge, practice guidelines evolve to incorporate these findings. The American Association of Clinical Endocrinology has published 34 new evidence based clinical practice recommendations for non alcoholic fatty liver disease and non alcoholic steatohepatitis. What do these new guidelines recommend? Welcome to Diabetes Discourse on REACH MD. I'm Dr. John Buse, and with us today to share highlights from these new guidelines is Dr. Kenneth Cousy, who's Chief of the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism in the Department of Medicine at the University of Florida. Ken, welcome to the program. Thank you, John, for having me. So first, congratulations to you and the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists for this wonderful and thoughtful summary of recommendations in the NASH and NAFLD space. Can you give us a brief overview of the overall recommendations? Of course, John.
1: Well, we felt that it was time that endocrinologists and primary care doctors had a set of diagnostic and management guidelines that would help them in navigate these complicated patients that overlap so much with obesity and diabetes. And to this end, we identified high-risk groups, and we divided into two pathways, one related to uh, specifically liver-related complications of NASH, and the other to the comorbidities uh, of these patients.
0: So based on the data that you present in the introduction on the prevalence of the problem in the population with diabetes, appropriately, there seems to be a, a large focus on screening recommendations. What are some of the top screening guidelines we should keep in mind in managing patients with diabetes?
1: Yeah. So so what we have found is that the old um, thinking that just looking into those with elevated liver enzyme was inadequate. Number one, a cutoff of 40 for uh, ALT or AST is like saying less diagnosed diabetes with an A1C of seven and a half. Uh, there are a lot of people with fatty liver disease and with advanced fibrosis uh, in that segment between 30 and 40. So that's why we cut off that down to 30. So specifically thinking about those at risk. And again, we talk as NAFLD as an overall umbrella term in which Some will just have fat associated within the hepatocytes, which don't cause inflammation. But more importantly, we're worried about those who have inflammation and will advance to fibrosis. And there are three high-risk groups that I would like to outline. So we have people with type 2 diabetes. So when we talk about diabetes, we're going to focus on type 2 diabetes. We think in type 1 diabetes, the evidence is still not there but we do know that if they have obesity or metabolic syndrome, they may also be at risk. But people with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and pre-diabetes are at the highest risk of advanced fibrosis. Then it's anyone with obesity and associated comorbidities of obesity. And third, those with obviously fat in the liver on any imaging technique, and ALT or AST above 30. And again, the confusion arises because what we're trying to identify is not fat, but use it as a surrogate to identify those who are at high risk of cirrhosis. Uh, In other words, that have significant degrees of fibrosis at the time of screening.
0: That's great. So the screening test that you're recommending is basically free. How is that possible?
1: Well, not completely free, but we derive it from typically tests that we do in the clinic so the screening for fibrosis is called fib4 and it's it's called that way because it has four components age plasma aminotransferases and platelets and the this test was developed from the liver field for uh, other liver diseases, but applies very well to NASH. And again, we have this incorporated in our electronic medical record as a calculator, or we can just have a dot .fib4 in our notes. And it is very practical to identify individuals who are on a path
0: towards cirrhosis. And then you have a follow-up test in people who have a positive screen with the fib4?
1: Yeah, yeah. So what the studies show, the numbers we have from U.S. epidemiological studies, studies from our university and others around the world, is that if you take 100 people with type 2 diabetes, 70% have fat in the liver. And about half of them have this steatopatitis that leads eventually to cirrhosis. So one in five, between 15 to 20% of patients have advanced fibrosis. So the FIB4 will be the first test to identify those at risk. The second test will be transient elastography. And they're fairly specific cutoffs that are well validated in the literature as having prognostic significance to,
0: uh, towards
1: developing cirrhosis.
0: Great. So now we've identified people at high risk for developing cirrhosis. Let's move on to treatment. How do the updated guidelines now approach the management of people at high risk for cirrhosis?
1: That's a great question, John, because the the guidelines that we had until now were relatively um, not very specific and were not very helpful for endocrinologists and primary care doctors seeing people uh, day in and day out. Now, if your FIB4 is below 1.3, we think that that person should just be managed for its usual comorbidities if they're obese or have type 2 diabetes. If it's above 1.3, then you do the second test, the elastography. The important thing is that as incorporated in this year's ADA guidelines uh, under the management of NASH and now expanded in the ACE guidelines is that we have drugs approved for the treatment of diabetes that can help patients with NASH. So again, there are no FDA-approved medications, but these medications have shown in randomized controlled trials to be effective in 50 to 60% of patients that are treated uh, with them. So GLP1 receptor agonist last year, some of you may have seen a paper in the New England. Um, by uh, Newsom et al, that we uh, was also a co-author, showed that semaglutide at the doses that would be equivalent to the weekly dose of the 2.4 milligram, that was at the highest dose, was able to uh, reverse statopatitis in about 60% of the patients. Lower doses, somewhat less. It didn't reverse the fibrosis, but it did slow down the progression. So now it is undergoing a large phase three trial to achieve FDA approval. The other drug is pioglitazone, which is now a generic that um, costs probably less than $5 a a month. And there are five studies, I've participated as a PI in three of them, and it has been fairly consistent uh, in studies up to three years to again, reverse that hepatitis and depend on the definition of resolution of NAS, 50 to 60% of the patients. We believe today that lower doses are as effective as shown in some of the trials at 30 milligrams. And I have an NIH sponsored study testing the 15 milligram dose. So in the clinic, what I do, If the patient does not have heart failure or a history of bladder cancer, although most studies have been negative with pyoglitazone in that sense, I start 15 milligrams. And if they are doing well, I would eventually use 30 and rarely use more than 30 milligrams a day.
0: Thank you. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD. I'm Dr. John Buse, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Ken Cousy about the new American Association of Clinical Endocrinology Guidelines on Diagnosis and Management of Non-Alcoholic Fatty Liver Disease and Non-Alcoholic Steatohepatitis. So, uh, Ken, you make a very important point in the paper about extrahepatic manifestations. What can you tell us about that?
1: Well, this is the other big thing. I mean, diabetes and NASH are like, I'd like to say, like a couple who get the worst out of each other. So people who have diabetes and NASH, NASH tends to progress more, but NASH itself uh, exacerbates apparently many of the comorbidities of diabetes. So if you are obese and have NAFLD, your chances of developing diabetes are double or triple. Moreover, if you have fatty liver disease, your chances of cardiovascular disease double or triple, um, depending on the metanals. So we have to be much more aggressive in managing uh, obesity, hypertension, atherogenic dyslipidemia, and treating diabetes uh, early on as aggressively as we can. And in the guidelines, we have included specific recommendations to guide doctors in in primary care or in endocrine clinics on, on what is unique about the management of these patients.
0: Very good. And I take it as a given that in general, the treatments that you discussed before for the fatty liver disease using GLP-1 receptor agonist, maybe semaglutide or pyoglidazone, that may improve the, the sort of extra hepatic manifestations as well.
1: Yeah, so this, this audience probably is very well-tuned with the beneficial cardiovascular effects of GLP-1 receptor agonists, probably less with pyoglutazone, which has not been studied as carefully uh, as the randomized trials with SGLT2s and GLP-1s, but has shown in some studies to improve that. I have to say that, again, lifestyle is the cornerstone of treatment. Weight loss by any means Um, lifestyle changes that lead to weight loss, bariatric surgery, which is heavily underutilized and can be used safely until decompensated cirrhosis, not recommended if you have decompensated cirrhosis, but even in the early stages of cirrhosis, bariatric surgery in a tertiary center should be considered. And again, weight loss agents with GLP-1 receptor agonists are probably all tools that primary care doctors and endocrinologists should be using today. So Weight loss is key in the successful management of these people. And again, I think that what we need to target in this is, is the sick fat, either by reducing the mass of adipose tissue or changing the biology of fat. That is what pioglitazone
0: uh, does. Very good. So as we come to the close of our program today, Ken, I want to give you the final word. Do you have any takeaways that you'd like to leave with our audience?
1: Well, number one, I think we need to give to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and the, the, its risk of cirrhosis the same attention we do as for other diabetic complications such as retinopathy and nephropathy. We need to be developing the mindset for screening. Remember Fib4 and eventually elastography, which is more commonly used with a device called Fibroscan. And finally, uh, lifestyle changes and use of medications approved for diabetes are going to be key in preventing cirrhosis in a lot of our patients. And stay tuned. There are a number of new drugs in development, but they are still about two or three years away from coming to the clinic, but it's a very active field. So it is now that I think doctors have to take this into account and incorporate NASH in the daily care of your patients.
0: Well, thank you so much. And with those final thoughts in mind, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Ken Kuzi, for sharing insights on the American Association of Clinical Endocrinology, guidelines on non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. Ken, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you, John. For ReachMD, I'm Dr. John Buse. To access this episode and others from our series, visit reachmd.com slash diabetes discourse where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.